0: The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. If you would, please turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 22. We're continuing this series in, in uh, or this week in our series, it's called Marriage Exposed, A Raw Look into Covenant and Conflict. Uh, we studied these same verses last week, and as I told you before, we could spend several more weeks easily in these 11 verses because they are packed with precious truth and practical application. It actually works out really well that we're going to have a shortened service tonight to leave us room to capitalize on the missional opportunity the Super Bowl provides because there was a principle that I began to unpack last week, but I didn't have time really to take it all the way. And so I want to pick back up there and and kind of finish that out with you this week, okay? So in light of the big game being today, this week's sermon title is Marriage, the Super Bowl of Relationships. I'm kidding. That's a lame sermon title. And you should leave if I title a sermon like that ever, okay? <laughs> I thought of a couple more. Jesus, the quarterback of your marriage, would be a good one for today. Or uh, what was the other one I had? Oh, love and unity, the goalposts of a healthy marriage. I could do this all day, but we don't have time. Okay. Uh, the actual sermon title will come later. I don't want to jump the gun until we work up to where we're headed, okay? So we're going to read these, these verses together, and uh, we'll go from there, Okay. Uh, Ephesians 5, starting in verse 22, we're going to read to 33 together. Here we go. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Uh, unpacked that thoroughly last week. If you weren't here, please go back to that, because everything we're doing this week is going to build off of that, okay? But we're not going to mess with those verses uh, in particular tonight. "'Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless.'" So husbands ought to also love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church. Because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Praise God for his word. Okay, last week... Looking closely at verses 25 through 27, we talked about, you know, we unpacked this body analogy and we did a lot of work with that. So that's all there from last week. But we, we began to talk about, we touched on this idea in verses 25 through 27, the marriage relationship as a discipleship relationship. Where do we see that? Okay, starting in verse 26. But now, let's start in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Why? so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing. And so what we see here is part of what Jesus did in laying himself down for the church, this example we have for covenant marriage, he was doing that so that he might sanctify her, so that he might cleanse her, be a part of that process uh, and, and pushing that forward. Okay, So He's not a part of the process. He initiated the process. But, so we see here that part of the goal, part of what's going on, we talked about how does Jesus sanctify? Well, he does that by making us his disciples, through making us disciples who obey the truth of his word. We see that language here, okay? So if a husband is seeking to disciple his wife, he's, we unpacked this last week, he's making her into a disciple maker. That's what happens when you make disciples. You're making a disciple maker. And, and that way she can then, in turn, help to disciple him. So there should be this mutual discipleship happening within the marriage covenant. Okay. Now, I know that this may seem, this idea of the marriage relationship being a discipleship relationship, for some of you that may seem sterile or, or kind of cold. It, it doesn't seem very sentimental or, or romantic, but we need to, before we make that judgment, we need to think about how Jesus did discipleship to really get the essence of what we're being called to here, right? So if, if we see that a major component of marriage is discipleship, well, what does that look like? We often think of discipleship in terms of programs or are taking people through some classes. And to be sure, let me say this, educating people and teaching them the scriptures, teaching them doctrine and theology those are important, important parts of the discipleship process. And we do that here. We do that through classes that are offered. We do it through teaching from the pulpit. We do it through the songs that we sing. And we do it through community groups. But there is an essential element to making disciples the way that Jesus modeled for us that is often missed or at least drastically underemphasized. And this essential element translates directly To the mutual discipleship that should happen within marriage covenants. I'm going to read you uh, John 15, 12 through 15, to point out what this essential element is. "'This is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends.' You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. See, Jesus didn't just train people to know what he expected, and then send them to go obey his commands. Jesus called his 12 disciples and he made the huge relational investment required to become friends with them. Jesus discipled through friendship. And this is the theme that I really want you to see. Discipleship is not only done best within the context of friendship, if Jesus is our example of the perfect disciple maker, then friendship is the only way to truly make disciples. That was a big statement. Are you going to buy that? Because here's what I'm saying. If what we're being called to is to make disciples in the model of Jesus, then who do we look to to find out how we do that? Ding, ding, ding. We look at Jesus. How did Jesus do it? Very clear that a big portion of what he did was not just Trained some guys as co-patriots in a mission, he made the point here to say, we've gone beyond that. We're friends. And that's a big piece of this puzzle, okay? If a big part of marriage is caring about and working towards the spiritual growth and sanctification of your spouse, which Ephesians 5 seems to be clearly saying, then real friendship between husband and wife is a non-negotiable. Amen. But what does that mean? Does the Bible provide any insight into what a faithful biblical friend looks like? Well, I'm so glad you asked. Okay, so we're gonna, I'll give you three guesses where we're gonna look to see what a biblical friend looks like. Anybody got a guess? We're gonna look at Jesus. All right, I knew you'd know. Okay. How was Jesus a friend to his disciples? Okay? First thing I'm going to give you. He spoke and spent time with them. He spoke to them and he spent time with them. Okay? So we see throughout the uh, Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see not only did Jesus call these guys to serve him in his mission, but he lived with them. He ate with them. He spent time with them. We get windows into these little side conversations. We don't get all of those campfire conversations. I, I, I hope someday there's maybe a book in heaven that, you know, they transcribed all those. Some angel was paying attention so we can see what all those conversations were because I'm sure they were great. But we see that there was this common theme of consistent relational investment. It wasn't that uh, they got together one time a week and, and did a meeting together, and then that was the extent of it. They traveled together. They lived together. They slept on the ground together as they moved from town to town, preaching the good news of the kingdom, healing the sick, feeding the hungry. They were together. They were relationally connected. And so they spent time together, an essential element of friendship. And he spoke to them, not just commands so that they could do what he wanted to do, but he spoke to them as friends. He instructed them, yes. He taught them, yes. But there was this essential element of relational connection between Jesus and his disciples. And that's part of how Jesus showed us that friendship is supposed to work. So he spoke and spent time with them. The next thing he did is he was on mission and did ministry with them. Okay? And so those those were closely together together. As they were relationally connected, as they were doing all these other things, they're having these conversations, they're living together, they're eating together, they were doing it for a purpose. They were moving through, doing this thing that Jesus said right from the beginning of the Gospels. He said he came to preach the good news of the kingdom. And so as they were going, they they weren't just hanging out, they weren't just riding in boats together and, you know, chilling out and whatever. Everything they did was a part of this overall big focus that Jesus had of letting the world know The Messiah they were looking for had come. It was him, that there was hope in God and that God was going to undo all of the ravaging damage that sin had done in the world. And he was going to do it through him. And he began to show them pictures of how that was going to happen as he fed the hungry and he healed the sick and he showed people what it looks like to really love one another. He was the light of the world. But what he was doing as he was the light of the world is he was also lighting with his light, these other candles, these disciples he made that his plan was to then send forth so that they could light more candles and on and down and down and down. And we actually were lit by that continual flame that's been passed from generation to generation. Praise be unto God. Amen. But the point of what I'm saying is it's, it's not just, if Jesus is the model for friendship, it's, and, and, and him and his disciples is what we're looking at, it wasn't just that they had fun together, though I'm sure they did. It wasn't just that they were kicking it together, hanging out. It wasn't just that they had long conversations where they got to talk about everything they were feeling. I'm sure that those things happened too as they traveled together, but it was for a mission. It was tied to this greater overarching gospel mission in the world. And so, there's, there's a binding that happens in those relational connections, those conversations, but there's also a binding and a gluing that happens relationally. When we get in next to each other, shoulder to shoulder, we get into the trenches, we fight the good fight. When we are a part of this thing much greater than any one of us, there's something that happens. There's connection that happens in working together for something that's greater than any one individual. And so that's part of what we see in Jesus being a good friend, teaching his disciples what a friend is and showing us what that looks like. Now, we, we, right here, I want to stop and say something, okay? Not always, but many times. I would. This is probably a stereotype, but a lot of times stereotypes exist for a reason, right? So, and sometimes the gender can invert on this, but I'm just going to say what's typical. And if that's not typical for you or typical for some example you're aware of, that's great. I'm just saying a lot of times you're going to have one person keen in on one part of this and one person on the other. Typically, or a lot of times, the first thing I gave you, this first element of friendship building, this speaking and spending time with one another, that's going to resonate a lot of times more with wives and the ministry and and mission part that I talked about is going to resonate more with husbands. It would be easier for them to understand that. And I know that this is true, at least from a personal uh, standpoint, because I know for me and Natalie have had to work through this, right? So I feel loved by Natalie, connected to Natalie, and uh, relationally fulfilled uh, largely by the fact that She, I know she's with me. She's next to me. She's a part of what we're doing, not not just in ministry, but in our life, right? Like, I can count on her. Uh, I know that she cares about uh, not only our life at home and making sure all that, you know, does what needs to happen, but she cares deeply about what God has called us to in ministry. And so the fact that we're next to each other, shoulder to shoulder, we're in the same harness pulling together, I feel love and connection to her through the fact that we get to work together, that God has placed us together with a complimentary gift set to be better uh, and to be more, a more useful tool connected than we were apart for all of what it takes for us to do life. I feel loved by that, and I feel her loyalty in that, and that's a great blessing to me. And it's not that she doesn't care about that at all, but it's not to the same degree that she feels love and connection that way, for her, it is, it's going to be more when I am willing to take the harness off and turn face-to-face with her and have a conversation and connect relationally and emotionally, spend time and speak to her, not, not just, hey, let's pull in this harness till we both pass out, wake up and do it again, right? Because I could have that tendency. And this, this is not an uncommon, based on many, many conversations I've had, this is not an uncommon dynamic in marriages where one person feels connection and, and, and love one way primarily and the other person feels it a different way. And so this is something we need to talk about. This is something we need to be aware of. And, and I need to know that if I'm going to be a good friend to her, I can't just keep doing the thing that makes me feel good and not worry, stop and make sure she's all right or she's getting the same thing. Um, and, and that getting that same thing, that, that sense of love and connection and cultivating friendship, it comes in a different way for her. In the same way uh, she <laughs> in the same way if if all you know if she's not willing to get in the harness and pull and, and be a part of mission and all of that and and just only ever wants to connect relationally and and, and you know talk about our emotions and all of that I mean I, I try to think of a different way to say that because it sounded like kind of condescending. That's not what I mean. It's okay and a good thing to talk about how we're feeling, right? And and to connect in that way and be vulnerable with one another. That's a part of being a good friend. That's a part of being uh, in a in a real discipleship relationship with one another and to be good friends with one another. So, uh, this is something we've had to work on in our marriage and 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 find the balance. And and you know, honestly, she, she's early on was more aware of the, the distinction and the difference and the need for a meeting in the middle than I was, and that's a way that she uh, graciously helped us grow <laughs> as a married couple. So Jesus was a good friend to his disciples by speaking to them, spending time with them. He was a good friend to his disciples by being on mission with them. He did ministry with them, and so they had both of these things going. Jesus didn't seem to be affected by you know the tendency we have to kind of feel love and connection more so one way or the other. It seemed like he understood all those dynamics and integrated all of it into the discipleship process and into that friendship building process he did with his disciples. Thirdly, and and so I those last two things, kind of speaking to each other, spending time with each other and and then being on mission together and and uh you know doing ministry together and, and all of that, doing life stuff and kind of pulling in the harness together. I talked about how, you know, typically one spouse or the other is going to like one of those more than the other and and maybe be less excited about the other, and so there's going to be some give and take there. This third way that I'm going to tell you Jesus loved his friends and was a good friend to his disciples, nobody tends to like very much. Okay, So this one will get everyone riled up if you haven't been yet. Okay, So the third thing I'm going to give you is that uh, Jesus challenged his friends. Okay, If you read through the Gospels and pay any kind of attention, you're going to see Jesus say some hard stuff not just to the Pharisees, not just to the religious leaders who thought that they were going to be able to be saved by their own good works. Jesus said some tough stuff to his disciples, to his friends, right? Uh, comes to, a few examples come to mind. One, uh, there was a time where you know, Jesus was kind of talking about what was going to need to happen and how everything was going to go down, and Peter was freaking out about that and saying, no, Lord, definitely not. Let's not do that. And Jesus' comment to Peter was, get thee behind me, Satan. <laughs> That that's a little rough, right? You know, but <laughs> but Jesus said they're friends, man. So it's not this wasn't just Jesus the boss speaking, you know, talking crazy to his subordinate. This was Jesus, the perfect disciple maker and the perfect friend, speaking within the bounds of his perfection, and and speaking a hard word, challenging his friend. There was times where his disciples would be arguing over who's going to be the greatest in heaven and who gets to sit right next to Jesus and. And there was times where Jesus had these facepalm moments and said out loud, you know, like, how long do I need to be with you? You know, his point is, we've been doing this thing for a while now, guys. That's a basic tenet that, that you know, I've been trying to show you that leadership and, and that, you know, the first is going to be last. The last will be first. Like, what, we, I've spent all this time showing you guys that service is the way and laying your life down is the way. And, and here right now, towards the end of this journey, I'm taking you guys on, you're still arguing about who's, who's going to be greatest come on, right? And he just lays it on them, tells them straight up. And those are just two examples. There's, there's many times where he, he puts his disciples in check, but never did Jesus take off his mantle of being a good friendship builder with them when he did that. Him checking them was absolutely an integral part of him being a good friend to his disciples, Proverbs 27, 5 through 6 talks about this. It says, better is an open rebuke than love that is concealed. Better is an open rebuke than love that is concealed. See, Proverbs puts this in a way that we don't think about it often. Proverbs is saying it like for us to hold back on speaking the truth to our friends is actually concealing our love for them. And there's a lot of reasons we do that. Sometimes it's cowardice. Sometimes it's that the person on the other end doesn't have a good track record of being able to receive uh, challenges that are in love or otherwise, right? And so, but either way, this principle needs to shape the way we relate to one another. Uh, It says, better is an open rebuke than love that is concealed. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy, And so we see this principle play out in the way Jesus deals with his friends, the disciples. And what I'm saying is, if a husband and wife are good friends, it won't be awkward or perceived as an assault when they check one another in love. I'm going to say that again because only one person acted like they heard it, and it's pretty good. If a husband and a wife are good friends, it won't be awkward or perceived as an assault when they check one another in love. That's a good word, man. We need to be good enough friends that we can do that. And more than that, as a matter of fact, a wise husband will invite his wife to call him out when he is sinning. And a wise wife will invite her husband to call her out when she is sinning. Sometimes, why this doesn't happen is that. We have not had the wisdom and foresight to open the door up wide to this friend, this mutual discipleship maker that God has given us in a covenant marriage partner, a major part of their function in our life is the reality that they see behind the masks better than anybody else. They see the stuff that other people don't see. They see the attitudes. They see the the duality sometimes we have in our personality and in our practice, right? Right? And so they're best equipped, closest in proximity to be able to help sharpen us and help us. But, but many times those doors are closed because of easily being offended or because we just don't believe or understand that this is ab- absolutely a part of what it's supposed to look like. You know, peace at all costs is not really peace. Sometimes there is absolutely a need for a little bit of love-motivated conflict. And, and what I'm saying is if this is functioning the really in its in its best iteration, uh, there won't be much conflict. My hope is that I I am humble enough and wise enough that if Natalie comes to me and says, hey man, I think you've missed it here, or I don't know if this action or these words that you said or whatever it is, I'm not sure that represents Jesus the way that I know you want to represent Jesus. I'm hoping that my initial reaction there is not offense, not to feel like she's coming at me for some purpose other than helping in my sanctification and being a part, doing the job God gave her to be a part of the discipleship process in me. And vice versa. I'm hoping I can come to her and say, hey, babe, you know, you're perfect. There's no problems. Uh... <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. She really is good at that. Um, and, and we often have those kinds of conversations. And, and honestly, I'm so thankful for that dynamic. It's needed. And the only way you don't think it's needed is if you have a distorted view of your level of Perfection. I assume, probably daily, <laughs> there's some opportunity for her to be able to point to something where I could respond better or, you know, uh, whatever it is, right? That in, Whether it's in my words or in, in my tone or the way I'm thinking about something or allocating time or whatever it is, right? Like, she sees more than anybody else uh, in terms of human eyes, so... Um, I, this, this is the will of God for married couples, for us to be good friends and for us to be friends in the mold of Jesus. And part of what Jesus did as a good friend was checked his friends. <clears throat> Love and joy and happiness and companionship are all great gifts that are a part of the marriage covenant. But a solid biblical friendship based on covenant commitment is the soil from which these flowers grow. Now, I know there are multiple possible reactions to this teaching, and I want to head one off right now, okay? If you're hearing this and you know that there is much room for biblical friendship and mutual discipleship to grow in your marriage, if you're hearing this and you know, There's a lot of room for growth here. Another way to say that would be, we're not doing too great at that, okay? Satan wants you to to despair and be discouraged by that, okay? Here's what I want you to see. To, To despair and be discouraged by that is condemnation, and it has no place among the children of God. Because it only points to the problem with providing no hope for a solution, Conviction, on the other hand, is a gift from God that works like a spiritual nervous system. If I touch a hot stove, it's my nervous system that says to my brain, Hey, move your hand, dude, or else your hand's going to melt, right? That's how conviction works. And it lets us know that there's need for a change, but it also shows you a way forward because it's a gift from the Holy Spirit. Now, because of Jesus and his gospel, we know there is hope no matter how bad a situation looks or how long it's been that way okay jesus came and things had been unfolding and getting worse for thousands of years that didn't affect the ability he had to come and and, and not only that it's 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 you know things from the resurrection forward it's not like they've been peachy <laughs> there's been all kinds of sins committed since then but we know that no matter how dark it looks, that because of Jesus and his gospel, there is always hope. And so if you're in that spot and you're saying, We're not, we're not good friends if Jesus and how he worked with his disciples and how he was friends with his disciples, if that's the model and these things are supposed to be present and that's supposed to be working between us, we're not doing very good. Okay, I hear you. There there may need to be acknowledgement of that, there might need to be confession. And repentance for that, absolutely. And I don't just mean to God, I mean to one another. And then there might need to be a declaration of desire, right? So you you may need to talk to one another and say, hey, you know what? There are elements of being biblical friends that we have not been cultivating in our marriage, and I want to do better at that. What you don't do is leave from here and start telling your spouse about all the ways they've been a bummer (laughs) at being a good friend, okay? Okay. You heard that, right? That's real important. <laughs> That's not how this works, okay? But acknowledgement, confession, repentance, a declaration of desire, and then moving forward in faith, right? This should not cause you to be down in the dumps. This should raise up your expectations for God's great power to be at work in your marriage and for you to grow in these ways because we have the promise of the help of the Holy Spirit and we have the truth of God's word. Amen. Amen. We read earlier that Jesus said there is no greater love than laying down your life for your friends. It was in that set of verses in John 15. And, and this is how. That statement from Jesus, there's no greater love than one would lay down his life for his friends. This is how the gospel shows us the way forward in all of our relationships, especially marriage. Okay? Because everything we just talked about, spending time and speaking with one another, being on mission and doing ministry with one another, checking each other, all of that needs to flow out of this ultimate supreme ethic the scriptures give us of love. And what love looks like, according to Jesus, is laying down our life for our friends. And so if you're not sure what to do, how to grow in these things, go back to that, at it until you come up with an answer. Because ultimately, all of this comes down to laying ourselves down. Thankfully, Jesus isn't calling us to be crucified like he was. He's calling us to live, to lay our lives down daily, in a living way, as we serve and love our spouse and seek to be a better and better friend to them. Amen. Because of Jesus' statement and because of Jesus' life, he shows us the way forward. And that's not just in marriages, that's in all of our relationships. No greater love has any man in this than he would lay down his life for his friends. May we all, whether married or not, seek to be a friend like Jesus and invite others to be those kinds of friends to us for our good and his glory. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. God, thank you for these verses. Thank you for the biblical example we have in Jesus as a friend, the best friend. Thank you, God, that we can see how discipleship and friendship are so closely interlinked and how both of those are contained within your call for married couples. And so, God, may we see the value of these principles and and these attributes within marriage relationships. God, help us to see that marriage is not primarily about romance. It's not primarily about emotional fulfillment. Those, these, the, the, these things are flowers that grow out of the soil of covenant commitment and solid biblical friendship. May we put first things first. And may we prioritize these things the way that you do. We need your help for this because God, as you know, we're in a culture that, that tells us the exact opposite and, and, and really loud. And so, Lord, it can be confusing And uh, it's really easy for us to get the cart before the horse in these things, but we know that your will is to teach us by your word, to instruct us by your Holy Spirit, to form us and shape us to understand these things in a way that coincides with eternal truth. And so, Lord, we thank you that you've given us not only commands, but such a perfect example. Lord, I've only scratched the surface on the ways that you were a good friend to your disciples. And Lord, there's so much more that we could talk about, so much more that we could see here. So Lord, I just pray over all of my friends that hear this, God, that they would continue to dig in these things, that they would think on these things. God, may our our hearts and our minds be bent towards thinking on biblical friendship and how that really relates to our mission as your followers and how key it is in the whole picture of the good news of your kingdom being preached in the world. Thank you that we get to be a part of what you're doing. Thank you that we get to be friends with one another. Married and unmarried, God, thank you for friendship. We know it's a good gift from you. And so we exalt you, we lift you high, and we ask for your help in these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission.